Son Kearney on to his right foot and he cracks it home. Brilliant finish from Harrison Reed. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under and we're back again. We've had a little bit of time off thanks to the holiday season, but we're here to discuss three games of football. One very good result, two not so good results. Um, let's get into it pretty much straight away. Thank you for joining us. Sammy, how are we going? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I'm exhausted from uh, this football period and from the seasonal period, but I'm on leave right now. So it's lots of walking around at 3am and just being chaotic to counterbalance everything that's going on. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm going pretty good and we're doing this earlier. So that's, that's lovely for me. That's lovely for me. I'm full of beans. I was going to say, you look a lot lighter than you usually do. Well, I am facing light as well dark dark corner of your room but it's nice to see the sunlight hitting your face for once sammy um and joining us as well dad how are we going yeah very well thanks merry christmas to you guys and and to everyone who's listening and uh, yeah i was thinking the same thing it's actually quite refreshing and joyous to be doing this in daylight and uh to uh yeah happy to be here uh I'm trying to be upbeat, guys. I've had a lovely Christmas, but terrible, terrible. Uh, uh, I don't know. Roll as a Fulham supporter. Do you know what? We embrace the good. We embrace the bad. We just embrace. You know, sometimes it's just swings and roundabouts. I mean, you gotta, you gotta give it to Fulham. This is a wonderful club to follow from a content perspective. There's always something kind (laughs) of amazing to talk about. Yeah, I was actually speaking to my um, my one of my friends who's um, a Man United supporter, and he was, he was. I was explaining what it's like to be a fan during relegation and just the shit that we have to deal with, and the phrase "I never experienced that" came up quite a lot, which uh, felt me filled me with joy and pride. Anyway, let's get into this shit show. Yeah, well, look, we we've got a bit to catch up on. We obviously didn't podcast we haven't podcasted for about a week now um i'll just purely put that down to christmas time and celebrations and there's been a lot that's happened if we go all the way back to the 20th of december um or the 19th can't remember um we had the cup quarter final obviously a really positive moment for fulham getting through to our first ever league cup semi-final with a penalties win against everton but in the games after that, it's it's really been dismal. I, I mean, I can't think of any other way to put it. It feels sort of like I think all three of us feel at the moment where you're tired, you've maybe eaten a little bit too much, partied a little bit too hard and get out there and just it, it's not clicking, it's not working. And yeah, it's been it's been a really poor Christmas period for Fulham, especially off the back of what was such a positive little period this season really feels like it's it's going in waves where we had a very poor start to the season and then all of a sudden we start picking up these points putting in these amazing performances everything clicks and then all of a sudden we're back downhill again and uh, i'm hoping that we're about to ride a wave again fairly soon but uh, i mean dad and sam do you feel like there's some big issues here the fact that we can't actually string together some good form well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it. I, I'd call it 
inconsistent or chaotic or schizophrenic. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a better, better sort of set of descriptors. Just when, <clears throat> excuse me, just when you think it's going well, the wheels fall off. It's so finely balanced. Uh, we, we're clearly capable of pulling off good results, almost almost independent of who we're playing. But um, it it doesn't take much to knock this Fulham side off its perch. It seems, you, yeah. you know, I, I read an interesting quote by someone on Twitter who said, you know, just stop it. The same people who were kind of baying for Raul's blood a few weeks ago are now blaming our poor form on him. How can it be? Or mm. him being missing. How can yeah. it be? You know, when okay, he's, he's, he's given us some goals in, in the very recent weeks, but his absence surely can't be the reason for this massive downturn. William, sure, I, I, I think he is often the source of great ingenuity and creativity, and missing that in the side definitely, and and it's his quality as well. Missing that in the side does make a difference, but we're just we're just too easily thrown off our game. Right yeah. now, we're just not resilient. We're not resilient enough. And I don't, uh, yeah, go. On. I was about to say, I don't, th- I don't think um, Raul's definitely the be all and end all of this squad. I think if um, Raul was still in the team and maybe Iwobi, um had a three game ban, that would affect the finely balanced ecosystem that is Fulham Football Club uh, just as much. Um, but more, I do. Probably no, you're probably right as well. Like we we we're, we're like a temperamental fruit that needs abs- things absolutely perfectly in order to grow. Uh, what's a temperamental fruit? We're like a pineapple. A pineapple needs everything perfectly. A pomegranate. A pomegranate. Yeah, an avocado. avocado. Just just something obscure and borderline South American or something like that. Just needs perfect conditions in order to get the ball rolling. Because yeah, I, I I'm not sh- I'm not sure about you guys, but emotionally either winning five nil or losing three nil is just it's just building up my gray hairs you know they're just sprouting from everywhere now i found one in my mustache the other day that was new it's just a lot it's just a lot it's not only it's not only even winning by five and then but you're losing two nil to burnley oh mate it just hurts it's a real extreme you know it's real insult to injury like And to to their credit, Burnley and Burnley and Bournemouth as well. We'll speak about very very well run clubs, and Everton have kind of got their stuff back together. And we, they actually gave us a, a really really solid game. But um, yeah, we we need uh, just just buy just buy some new players, Tony. Just really buy some new players. Like we need something. We need we need some kind of leg up or handicap in order to bulk this out. Jack, you say well, things. Yes, yeah, stop Sam. <laughs> I'll um I'll, I'll slightly disagree with saying that one player doesn't make a difference. I think I agree we're we're very finely balanced, but I think a lot of that balance is to do with the front four, if you will. We managed to finally find a combination that worked, which was uh, Jimenez up front, Willian left, Wilson right, Iwobi in the center, or or Iwobi right and Pereira in the center. 
And then throwing that off means Iwobi now is playing on the left. You've got Muniz playing up front rather than a goal scorer. You've got Willian out. Like, it actually has has thrown everything out, losing those two players over this little period. And I think it's it's just I, – I, I do, in a way, blame Jimenez. And, look, I, we've sort of blamed him in multiple different ways now, but one sort of moment of stupidity going in and hip and shouldering a bloke in the head has led to – I think has led to these poor results. Yeah, um, I think, I think you're if right. Jimenez if Jimenez starts, um, a couple of moments in the Bournemouth game where I thought a, a better striker gets in a better position there and maybe puts that away or takes mm-hmm. a shot when maybe Muniz wasn't. Um, same in the Burnley game, a better striker might have put a few put a few things away. I, I just feel like we I agree we are very finely balanced, and when you do find form and start scoring because we we didn't score goals. At, in the start of the season, and then all of a sudden it clicked and we started scoring, you take those two players out and we haven't scored a goal in the last two league games and we've conceded five. It's, mm. well, in fact, if you look at the Newcastle game before that as well, um, you know, we're, we're leaking goals at the moment and I, I kind of think our defence is not that bad. Um, yeah, I agree. Not, not bad enough to be conceding five in the last two and what was it 4-0 against Newcastle or 3 it was three um, 0 I think. Like, like we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be losing by these margins against these teams. We, we're a better side than that, and I do put that down to having a man sent off and then having him get a three match ban. Um, let's actually jump into these games now because we've obviously got a, a fair bit to cover with three games to go through. Let's first touch on Everton, uh, and firstly, what a huge result, and and what a great moment for Silver and the squad to make a bit of history and I know Silva talked about it last season how important it is making these bits of history getting those high point thresholds and uh, highest finishing position in the league these are things that players and and coaches strive for and to make a first ever league cup semi-final is is huge to do it in the manner we did it as well um, playing a really good game against Everton and then winning on penalties in what was a pretty pretty close penalty shootout. Um, Dad, I'll throw to you first. How important is that a result for a team who maybe aren't in the best of form at the moment to, to be able to look forward to a League Cup semi-final? Well, of course. That's rhetoric, Jack. Rhetoric, if I ever heard it. Um, you know, I actually quite enjoyed that game. I, I, I know it wasn't an amazing game, but Everton away is not an easy fixture, and they are in pretty decent form. I know it wasn't a game, a really standout game, but I thought it was entertaining. It was pretty hard fought. Mm. And I and I was very impressed at our composure taking those penalties. It, it, you know, there were some very um, – there were many players who stepped up and had to do a job who you would never consider to be comfortable and competent penalty takers, and they did it with aplomb. And – I, I, I was quite stressed, actually, at the number of penalties we had to go through to get it over the line. And, um, yeah, great win. Um, <laughs> I'm not against the run of form, but on the back, to, to do that on the back of a pretty tough defeat at St. James's Park was, was a pretty good effort and a, quite a good response to bounce back. So... Look, 
Uh, bring it on. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that we've got a nice little cup run going here. Of, of course, only to be gut-punched by a ridiculous draw against Liverpool away, um, which was not favourable and sort of took the kind of kind of took the the wind out of our sails a little bit following mm. uh, that lovely uh, win. I don't know about I don't know about you guys, but um, it's I, I'm going to speak positively about it. Like, is it just filled me with so much pride to see how confident um, uh, our guys are at the moment at just in high pressure situations. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's ironic to talk about it because we always seem to like concede in like the 93rd minute or something ridiculous. But when it's um, in that moment in a highly intense penalty position, we seem to always turn up. So like we're like, we're like the composure <laughs> within the individual for each player is so strong at the moment that like it, I think it's, I think it's amazing and you can rarely find that in like a squad. Um, I, so it's, 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 it's an, it's annoying in like these other games because you kind of can't be like, well, they're in their head or whatever, because clearly they can um, uh, be so present for these games. We're just, we're just not converting actually on the pitch at the moment. So there's a lack of quality, um, but they're really, really well worked by Silver. I don't know. There's, I, I, I just, I just really want some more players. I, re- I really want some more toys to play with, just to see if we can add to this. I really like Muniz. I like, I like Muniz, but um, he's not a Premier League player, is he? He's just not. Like, and I'm not sure if he ever will be. But I, uh, I don't know. Lovely. Thanks again for that, Sammy. <laughs> I, I was. Can to, I just say that? Need to get the Oscar just... music ready for you, Sam. <laughs> can play I, you out a little bit, I, so, a little bit sooner. <laughs> can I just say that I thought it was the late nights and excessive tiredness, Sam, but it's daytime now. No, like I, I'll just give you like more high energy chaos. But if you ask me to stick to a topic. I'm not going to do that for our listeners because they they expect something of me. You know, you can listen yeah, to any to other Fulham podcast. Topic. You can listen to any other Fulham podcast, and they'll probably stick to the topic. Not this one here. This one we go we go for the gold. We're miners. Don't we say, try to find don't things. Don't say we, Sam. Don't say we. <laughs> you. Uh, um, yeah. Look, I, I think we we can all be positive about the performance against Everton. That was a a good team performance against a decent Everton side who you can't really look at the league table to judge Everton at the moment. If uh, they didn't have the points deduction, they'd be comfortably ahead of us. Um, so it, this is a, a high mid-table side who we played really well against. Uh, I think both teams put out strong 11s. Um, we obviously went 1-0 up through the own goal. It was really well worked. It was a classic Willian Robinson combination down the left. Mm. Um, admittedly, we didn't get a man on the end of it, but I think if you just continue to put the ball into the danger area like Robinson does, you do force errors like that and the own goal from Michael Keane. Um, a, a bit of a defensive lapse to concede fairly late in a game that we should be looking at closing out. Maybe there's questions to be asked about should we made some substitutions a little bit earlier to potentially tie the game up a little bit? Um Five minutes before the Everton goal was scored, 
we bought on Deckard over Reed and Pereira for Wilson and Reed. Maybe mm. in that sort of moment, you actually should be bringing on, uh, like we did in the 87th minute, we bought on Diop for Iwobi, which actually would have made far more sense to do when you're 1-0 up with 15 minutes to go rather than actually waiting until the very end of the game. Um, in terms of the penalties, though, I agree, Dad, it's good, and Sam, I think you both mentioned that it's good to see so many people come forward and, you know, confidently score penalties. One thing I have to say, Jordan Pickford is a very good goalkeeper in regards mm. to penalties. He's yeah. a terrible bloke, but he's a very good goalkeeper. <laughs> um, but, uh, wow. and Tell me how you really he, feel. Well, that that was the censored version. Um, he went the right way for I think four different Fulham penalties that were either hit too firmly or um, were basically in the side netting, and he wasn't able to save. But the fact is, he he literally went the same the right way for almost every single penalty, um, and we still managed to come away with the win. Let's be perfectly honest; we probably should have lost that penalty shootout after yeah. Decadover Reed missed. Um, Onana then steps up and takes probably one of the worst penalties I think I've That's ever terrible. seen. Terrible. Mm. Where he walks up and side foots it slightly to the left of centre, and Leno literally just has to fall down and pick the ball up. Um, and then from there, look, great penalties from, like you said, players you don't really expect to be taking penalties in the first place. Kenny Tete, Anthony Robinson, Tosin, all putting away their penalties very comfortably as well. And um, just a gay missing his penalty. I think he hit the post. Might have been a little touch from Leno there, but look, a really good win. Um, Sam and Dad, the draw against Liverpool, it's a tough draw, but do you feel like it doesn't matter quite as much in a semi final? Because at the end of the day, if you want to win a trophy, you're going to have to play against <coughs> Liverpool or Chelsea at some point. Yeah. And look, um, all you need in these, well, it's it's two legs, isn't it? I was about to say, all you need to do is win one game and then you're through, but uh, this is a two-leg situation. Um, oh, yeah, Liverpool are good at the moment, though. That's... Stranger things have happened. I mean, you constantly, um, in separate chats, refer to Juventus. No one can take that away. I mean, not to... Not to say that this is the exact same squad, but it's more just like football is amazing because these narratives just f come out of nowhere. Um, but it's <laughs> it's hard to be positive, but um, uh, we can still dream, you know? And as long as we can dream, I'm happy. Well, it, because obviously there's the African Cup and uh, we lose two, but they lose Salah. And... Uh, I think I'd probably rather play them in a cup fixture right now than a league fixture because I think if if we're lacking anything, it's a psychological thing rather than a skills and quality thing. And mm. so you want to imagine that Silver can prepare and get these guys ready and pumped up for a big cup game in which anything can happen. So I think... We probably it's a more even playing field um, if we take them on in a cup, albeit Anfield away. Jeez, yeah, doesn't get much tougher. Really, yeah, um, but but like Jack says, you, you know, once you get down to the last four, even the last eight, you 
it's very unlikely you're going to be playing ordinary sides. They're all going to be good. And if you're if you're destined to win it, you're going to have to beat a great side either in the quarters, semis, or in the final itself. And so that's that's the mission. And you can't it it would be it would be a, a, a dream to get an easy run so you know you're going to Wembley for the big one and at least you can celebrate the fact that we can all have a great day out and we did get to the final. But in reality, you you've it's it's game on now. You've just got to be able to do it against the big boys. Yeah. I mean, I would I be happier to lose two nil to Liverpool than Middlesbrough in a semi-final? Sure. But I mean I, ideally, I would like a more competitive uh, matchup in my brain. It's hard, isn't it? It's just, yeah. I, 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 yeah. What, like Exeter? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> Stansfield. I mean, one thing to consider is it's a, an interesting little fixture for Liverpool to be playing against us in the Cup. Um, if I look at their fixtures, their upcoming fixtures... Um, they obviously played um, Burnley and beat them 2-0 overnight. Um, they've got to play Newcastle on the 2nd of January, then Arsenal in the FA Cup third round on the 8th of January. Then they play us on the 11th of Jan. They play Bournemouth on the 22nd. They play us again on the 25th. Then they have to play Chelsea on the 1st of Feb and Arsenal again on the 5th of Feb. They've got a I, I, what I would call quite a rough run over the next few weeks, admittedly. Um, Bournemouth is probably their easiest game. And, you know, this Bournemouth side aren't terrible and they're in very good form at the moment. But they've got a bit of a congested schedule with a third-round tie. You'd be hoping for the FA Cup third round to pick up uh, a team like Rotherham or, you know, one of those League One, League Two sides. Um, and instead getting drawn against Arsenal in the third round of the FA Cup is is pretty rough. Um, and they'd be focusing on the league as well, wanting to make sure that they do win those games against... Um, Bournemouth, which you know could easily be a bit of a banana peel for them. Um, they play Bournemouth, they play us literally two days later or three days later in the cup second leg of the cup, and then they've got to play Chelsea a few days after that. So it, it's there's a potential that Liverpool will have more incentive to rest players for this League Cup semi final. I wouldn't be overly surprised if you saw some of those fringe squad players, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, those kind of players making appearances in, in the lineup for those games. Um, just especially while Salah's out as well. Imagine Salah's out and then you lose another one of your key players to injury because they've been pushed too far over this busy little period. Uh, the, I'm looking for positives here and I'm hoping that there are some. Um, but, you know, I, I the just... reason... Go on. Sorry, I just found a positive. I just just reminded when you mentioned the date of the 11th of uh, January, I'm going to be two days into my holidays. I'm going to be lying on a beach, and my biggest challenge is going to be finding a stream. Well, I think your biggest but... challenge is going to be waking up at 4 a.m. to watch the game. Um, <laughs> Probably not going to happen. Yeah, I didn't think so, especially on your holiday. Um, uh, look, I, I think... We, we draw comparisons to Juventus not because of the quality of the two squads. I think it's more just the fact that you can, you can lose a game 3-0 in the first leg and it's it doesn't mean it's all over. Yeah. Um, 
I think this Fulham team as well are capable of putting five past teams. We saw how they played against Liverpool in the in the league at Anfield as well. Like it's it's a team when when everything's clicking, it's a team who aren't afraid of any opposition and can actually trouble opposition as well. Um, look, the the transfer window will be open at the, at the time of the first game and the second game as well, obviously. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that Fulham do do a little bit of business early. I think it's very clear to see that we need to do some business in this transfer window. So I, I'd hope that it's actually been scouted for a little while and maybe we can get something done early doors and potentially see some new players on the 11th in the League Cup semi-final. Who knows? Um <laughs> Yeah, I know you're laughing because it's ridiculous to consider that, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll I'll see. We'll see. I'll be furious if he leaves it to the last day again. That system does not work, and I will be violent if he's leaving. We, we will to the see. Last day. <laughs> Let's move on to um, the league fixture now. The Tuna loss to Burnley at home at Craven Cottage. Uh, this happened on the 23rd of December. Again, a, a really disappointing result. This Burnley side. Uh, sitting rock bottom of the Premier League and really should have been put away. Um, a couple of missed opportunities from us, but really it's just this This was the start of a very terrible Christmas period for us. Um, <laughs> Dad, your thoughts? We sat together and watched this game and there was a lot of huffing from memory. <laughs> uh, I don't rate them. I just remember saying to you, this is not a good side. Um, Vincent Company, a, a, a legendary great footballer, and I can see what he's trying to do, but I don't buy it. And, you know, they're sort of trying to play a really nice brand of football and actually don't have the quality to really pull it off is, is maybe my take on it. And um, it's, it's, it's just so destroying when you get – beaten by a bad side because you're having a terrible day. Uh, in, interesting that whilst we were rejoicing um, the fact that Tom Kearney was having such a great run and doing so well in the middle and providing so much creativity, um, this is perhaps a bit of a turning point where I, one, the one thing I think company – did do was actually work us out in the middle somewhat and if you if you noticed um every time tom kearney got the ball there were two men on him in a heartbeat mm. and blocking his preference to go on his left foot leaving him with very little time and really frustrating us in the middle and just causing us to yeah, our movement to break down. Um, and yeah, look, regardless, we were, we were poor. We were so poor. I mean, I, we did have some opportunities, but we just couldn't convert them. And uh, it was just a terrible watch. It's always a bit depressing as well when you see a relatively crap team just play entirely their game against. Uh, you because it's one thing to um uh, uh, have like a relatively tight game and then um uh, 
succumb to either like a penalty decision or just a fluke goal. They outplayed us. There's no kind of two ways about it. And we just weren't really there. And um, that is incredibly concerning and depressing and all the other synonyms around that. It it just really should not happen. And I think you can put, uh, as we've discussed before, we can put that down to um, Jimenez not being there just to complete the puzzle. Because I think if almost um, these, these both these two games um, between Bournemouth and Burnley, um, if we could have gotten a goal, I think the games would have been completely different um, uh, because you build momentum off of those things and we didn't create anything that we could have essentially built off of or it didn't feel like we did, at least. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something in um, the games there, but yeah, it's, it's just not good. It is not good. No bueno. Uh, well, my question would be the the. I mean, we obviously did lose Jimenez, but do we feel like one player out should make that big a difference? And therefore, is there a bigger problem here? If if that's the case, like, I mean, obviously we know that our squad depth isn't wonderful, but should we be able to handle one player missing out? In a game, I know well, your striker's the person who puts the ball in the back of the net, but yeah, it feels like right. something that we should be able to just, you know, put someone else in and, and still, this team's not that different from the team that put five goals, five goals, two games running past the opposition. Um, how can we fall from grace so heavily after those results? Well, I think the drop off of the the, our target men between Jimenez and um, uh, Menez and Vinicius is so great that, um, uh, I mean, we do have strikers that we can um, call to. But, I mean, if we had um, uh, the the Serbian that shall not be named and Jimenez, we wouldn't have this problem because that would be a sufficient uh, rotation. So if one can't play, then at least we have a sufficient replacement for the other. So you just continue on the same momentum. But the the, the drop-off is too great. So when Jimenez isn't there, it just feels like no one's there. Well, obviously you can't win games if you're not putting balls in the back of the net. And not that we are entirely reliant on one man mm. um it, it it does actually it does sort of illustrate the effect that metro actually had in carrying a sometimes ordinary fulham team where he was so prolific and in such he had patches of such good form that when a, someone is scoring 20 goals 25 goals in a season it yeah, it makes a massive difference. Now, mm. I actually feel sorry for for Mooney's. He's this can't be part of his career plan to be suddenly, you know, carrying everything on his shoulders. And he's trying hard. And there are little moments when you can see great improvement. There were a couple of moments uh, yesterday where I, I thought. You know, he, he actually did physically did really well holding the ball up and laying it off. And but he just doesn't yeah. have the overall quality. And it's a lot to ask of him. And I, I I think it's very unfair for us to kind of be too personally depressed about 
what he is or yeah, isn't I'm, delivering at the moment. I mean, he's only 22 as well. I, I, I don't expect huge things from him. He was our third choice, maybe even fourth choice striker. Um, so I, I, I never expect much from Muniz. But, you know, uh, back back to the question I originally asked, which was we scored 17 goals across four games when you look at 3-2 against Wolves, 4-3 against Liverpool, and then the two five nils. Jimenez only scored three of those 17 goals. I mean, he, he was on a pretty good run. It might be four of those 17. No, it's just three of the 17 goals. Mm. Um, surely, surely, surely we can still find those other 14 goals from the rest of the players who were still on the pitch. Well, I mean, Willian okay. went off injured against Burnley, but were, how have we... And, and maybe it stems back to Mitro. Remember when Mitro would get injured and we'd have to sub someone else in and we'd play in a style that just didn't adapt to our new striker. Maybe there's there's a bigger issue here, which is Marco Silva's unable to adapt the way we play. And maybe it's the players at his disposal, or I shouldn't be blaming Silva, but it feels like we just we don't have a plan B when things go wrong and we just stick to the same plan and, and keep flogging it, even though it's just not working. I think you're echoing some... Uh... Twitter chat chatter there, Jack. I mean, um, somebody's, it, got to, somebody's got to create the discourse, you know? It's, it's not that. <laughs> look, at, look at the results. He scores 17 goals but, across a period of um, four games, and then we don't score any goals in the next three games when we've but, had a player suspended. It, it, it doesn't make sense where is Jimenez that important now, having been a player who struggled so badly where if he's in the team we score 17 in four if he's out of the team we score no goals in three well 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 well, okay i don't necessarily think um jimenez is the ultimate be all and end all but one thing i can say for jimenez and you can say the exact same thing for mitrovic as well when when jimenez is playing we have a style about us and then when uh, mitrovic is playing we have a style that's similar to him. When um, Moniz and Vinicius are playing, there, there is, there is nothing that, that because I do, I do think strikers inform the way that uh, a team plays, and um, they kind of set the tone. I mean, you think of like your um, Shearers, your Henrys, um, your Burkamps. You these are very, very distinctive people and then you follow in their suit when Jimenez is playing we play really fun and really vibrantly when um uh, Mitrovic is playing we're crossing in and we're aggressive and boisterous when um uh, Vinicius and Moniz play there's bless them there's just not really anything there they don't command the same thing they're not awe-inspiring and I do think you need to be awe-inspiring as a striker um and I think we I think we just need another aura there. And it doesn't really matter what that aura is, but we just need something. Bless them. They just don't really have the um, personality to carry a team over. I, I, I think you're... No. I no, I, I, is personality. No, I think Sam's right. I think there's a lot to what he's saying. But I, I twist uh, Willian into there as well. I think and I right. think, um, you know, look, it looked like a looked like a, a bit a bit of a fool when he was trying those overhead kicks and things like that at, without being able to even pull off a tap in to score a goal but he he does have a very 
fun style and approach to the game and he's very latin in his approach and he 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 likes being creative and doing the clever and eh, sort of somewhat showboating type stuff but i think people definitely vibe off that and i think it brings out the best in william i think it i i definitely think it brings out the best in harry wilson i think pereira likes that style of football as well and people start getting in on the act. And don't, don't forget that taking uh, a, an injured Willian has caused an informer Wobi to switch to the left. doesn't work. It certainly just mm. does not work as well. Um, and so th- it's it's probably a lot more nuanced than just, oh, Jim- Jimenez is out and uh, Willian's injured. You, you can't look at it in such isolated terms because it does actually cause a knock-on effect. And it, it changes the shape of the jigsaw puzzle. And it forces players. It's a little bit like the Bassey looked like a great player in really good form. His first opportunity is at right back, where mm. he's, he's, he actually does have a right foot, but it's not a super high-quality right foot. And at Premier League level against really good opposition, it's enough to be a disability and a weakness and it you know even though on paper it it sort of should work it just doesn't and even though a wobi in great form on paper should work on the left wing it doesn't and for a fulham side that needs everything to be near as damn it to perfect to perform well uh it's it's very vulnerable to to uh, small small changes I want to hear Jack's rebuttal because I I know he disagrees with us and I I, I want to hear the discourse. Go for well, it. Well, you I mean you just made a point there saying this this Fulham team only performs well um when everything's perfect and that's a problem for me. Uh, the, you no, shouldn't have to have everything no. perfect for a no, team no. to perform well. And no. my my point I'm making is I I don't think Sam's making a point saying Jimenez is this aura up front. Um, you can't compare Jimenez and his impact on a game to Mitro's impact on the game when we had Mitro or the other players like Shearer and Henri and Bergkamp. Those guys are superstars. Jimenez is not a superstar. He is in a little bit of form at the moment, which is getting him to score goals, but he doesn't have a specific play style, I'd say, that should have this big effect on our results. But I completely we should disagree be able with to that. Sub in I completely disagree with that because every time we've won five nil, it's been in a very, very like cantankerous, flamboyant kind of way, and we've scored like really, really fun goals, as opposed to just um, tap ins or whatever. There's been a very, very clear um, way in which we've played when we've um, won um, those games by that margin, and that has been. We, through we were playing that way with Jimenez as well, and we weren't scoring any goals. So you can't say that that's down to Jimenez being on the pitch. He was trying back heels and trying overhead kicks and stuff, and we were playing in a fun way, but we weren't scoring goals, and therefore it's not fun. It just it, it clicked in a couple of weeks. But what I'm saying is, I, I, I don't think... I mean, you look at Vinny does back heels and uh, step overs and... Muniz does the same thing as well. Uh, we they they're samba players, they're Brazilian strikers who like to try interesting things. But it, it's I, I don't know what the problem is, but we just can't seem to adapt to different players playing in different positions. Well, and 
that that causes a bigger issue because it doesn't matter how big your squad is, you have to have clones of those players in every position. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. Um, Well, yeah, I I think that it's not unreasonable to say that um, the season, the success we had last season, was an absolute overperformance relative to the quality of our squad. Okay. It was an incredible performance, and we we overachieved. And it's yeah. it's just not possible to sustain that. It it's just too easily broken down. And it's a I I do believe it's a chemistry thing. It's a personality thing. I think it un, unless you have maybe three or four you know world level world class players in your side who can win a game or stop an opposition on their own. Um, you need incredible cohesion. You need people to love playing with each other and then that be resulting in success for them to be expressive, for them to have all of their anxieties allayed and to come out and actually play in a way that is 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 fun and that they feel, you know, it's, it's a wonderful feeling when you know you're overperforming um, as a side. You, you, surely you've been in situations like that where you, you, you know this is you're playing against a really good side, but you're somehow kicking their asses and you have no right to be. It's a good feeling and it injects a really special source into uh, a, a squad. And I, but but so so by by definition that is very vulnerable because it's really 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 fragile, and you take one piece away, even though <clears throat> you, you'd think you should be able to drop someone in, and and do a similar job, it just it breaks the chemistry. That's just fluff to me. Um, look at the results this what? season. We. Well, it is. It's it's saying yeah. When things are going well and the chemistry is great, everything's good. We we yes, we we outperformed our squad ability last season. But if you look at the results this season, there's not one instance where we've got wins where we probably shouldn't have got a win and performed uh, outperformed. The only time I'd say all season where we've picked up a point. We points we didn't deserve were that Everton game at the very start of the season where we won one nil even though we should have definitely lost, and the draw against Arsenal. On top of that, we've been flogged by Brentford, been flogged by Aston Villa. Um, Chelsea beat us; we should have probably beaten them. We've lost now to Burnley, Bournemouth. We've lost a game to Newcastle that we should have closed out. We should have picked up points against Liverpool after scoring three goals against them. Like I just feel like there's possibly a bigger issue here and i i'm putting that kind of at the feet of marco silver a little bit where we play the same style of football and cross our fingers that it works sometimes and i don't know if it's a issue with the squads where we need different players and additional players i think we we definitely do but i also feel like we should be able to adapt a little bit better than we do we look at all the other teams in the league they lose players to injury they have to make changes. They don't all have incredibly deep squads, um, but they do adapt, and we aren't adapting at the moment. I think that's a big issue for me. But but I don't think it's as simple as the manager adapting. I think it also comes down to the quality of the players 
who actually have to adapt, you know, intra-game. Um, because, you know, Steve, Steve Reynolds following on the live stream made a comment a little earlier where he said that Burnley turned up with um, a bank of two fours in defence and we just couldn't deal with that. Now, yep, we could have made a tactical change, but we still have to have the skill. You don't have to have a script from your manager to work your way through that. It comes down to how you break that down. I do disagree because it's the manager's job. The manager before a game says, this is the way we're going to play this game. If he wants to, if, if Burnley come out with an unexpected two banks of four in defence, the manager's job is to tell the players what to do to get past that bank of four. Or, or to if change the, the formation. To off, exactly. So, so, but he didn't change the formation in any way during that game to try and break it down. We kept doing the same thing to try and break it down, and it just we we couldn't break it down. And that's credit in a way to Company and Burnley for working out a way to keep us out. But Silver should be good enough to say, right, I can see what's happening here. They've set up two banks of four. We're not getting through in our normal way. How are we going to get through? And he didn't make any of those kind of changes. Well, maybe there is something in that. But um, I, I think you, you can't untangle or detangle, untangle um, the, the, that from the, the problem of squad depth. He, he doesn't have yeah. resources to compete at a level that the club and the fan base believe we should be competing. It, it's, it's a good enough squad mm. with the wind behind us to survive and stay up give or take it probably is but it's not it's not a, a squad good enough to really push on with the ambition mm. that we all sort of thought uh mm. we were capable of and 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 you know may, maybe i suppose the 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 very greatest of managers can make do and do incredible things with a bunch of sunday league footballers but yeah, I, most yeah. most most good managers do require a decent set of players in their squad in order to pull off their very very good plans. Now, I know you're talking about something different. You're you're complaining that Silva isn't adaptable enough, and let's be honest here. We see that in some of his decision making around substitutions. It's either late or it's not spot on. Um, so, so maybe, maybe that's kind of uh, giving us some clues as well. But to me, the problem is maybe the easiest way to fix the problem is not to throw out uh, Marcus Silva, who I think has proven himself to be a very, very good manager, but it's to give him better resources. It's it's got to be the way forward. It is. Like, I do. I do think Jack is right to an extent, though, because I do. I do. I do agree with Jack. I do think it is up to the manager in order to figure that stuff out. And I, I've I've been vocal before, and I've um said that like I don't think Silver. I think there is a glass ceiling to um what Silver's capable of, and I think we do see it in um um his general composure and um just the way in which he kind of governs himself and. His players, I do, I do think he um, can lack flexibility. Um, I, so it it will be, but I do also think Dad is right as well, where we do.
do desperately need new players because I think I think he's not incapable of um, changing up and like flipping the script uh, because hey, he's he, I, I I I do disagree um, with what we said before. I do think um, playing with Mitrovic and playing with um, him and his are completely different styles. So he knows how to center a team around. Um, something new and something different. Um, I think he's just very limited in his resources at the moment. Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a difficult one. Is, is um, it possible? Is it possible also that Marcus Silva with a team of not not Man City superstars, but with a team where he has incredibly high confidence in all of the players on the field and on the bench? behaves differently about changing things up, subbing people on. Because uh, a luxury as a manager must be that you pick your best 11 and then things start happening and you get yourself in a position where you either need to change the game because nothing is working or you're 2-0 down, you know, 10 minutes into the second half and you you have that complete confidence that anyone on the bench I feel 100% confident with. They're not my second or third choice in that position but they're an equal and i feel really confident and right okay you know you're going on it's your turn see what you can do and maybe uh, he simply doesn't have the confidence a sufficient confidence to it's carry so hard to, isn't to it like that. it's so hard isn't it because like i mean um i don't like using slippery slope arguments but this is the only one i can um, think of at the moment but if you think of the world cup final against um france and argentina um, the French manager was doing substitutions in like the 40th minute, just going, this isn't working. Let's completely flip the script because he did have um, all the resources that he needed in his French players um, to just completely change it up, depending on if it was working or if it wasn't. Um, uh, I do think Silva has like a lot of pride and he has that kind of like stoic um, uh, manager of, we have decided that this is the system that we're going to do today. And it's on me. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But we will die trying. Pride's, um, pride's a liability, Samuel. It is. It is. We, we had that conversation today. We did. We did. Um, <laughs> uh, but also as well, I I don't think Silva is very very confident in his entire bench to be constantly changing in and out. So why would he feel? comfortable switching things up and just constantly drawing from his substitutions if he didn't necessarily select them i mean how how long's he been here for like three years um he's bought in quite a lot of players but he's still dealing with like a lot of um players from even scott parker days so it's it's yeah it's it's difficult to criticize him too much because it's until it's a full marco silver squad um uh, can you really yeah. blame him for not feeling confident in certain players? I mean, I, I think we need to look at the squad still and say this is it's still a good Premier League squad. I think it this is. squad is it good is. enough to be mid-table in the Premier League. So it's not exactly like he's hamstrung for options. He's got players who he can bring off the bench and he's able to potentially, you know, even just if you're losing 2-0, go to a 4-4-2 and try and win the game and uh, look it was the first time last night against Bournemouth that we've seen Silva change his tactics when he's down and actually play two up front um and we seem to just sort of play two at the back and let the wing backs 
shoot on a little bit further, which obviously led to us conceding another goal, but at least we tried something. And and also, I just want to make it clear, I'm definitely not on the whole silver out bandwagon, which no, a no. few people are trying to get going on Twitter at the moment. I just don't agree with no, Silver's doing a, a – he, he does a very good job and he's done a very good job for us. And I don't think he is at the point where he – can't get any more out of this team. I, I just feel like, I just feel like he just needs to potentially look at adding a bit more flexibility to this squad. And we we have the players to be able to do that. I just would like to see him maybe change it up a little bit in situations where it's just not going our way, rather than just trying to push through and cross your fingers that it actually works eventually. Um, I, I guess let's sort of breeze over the Burnley game. It was a tuna loss. The first goal for Burnley. Ball gets given away by Harry Wilson. Um, he, he tries to pass it back to Polina and just misplaces his pass. Um, a, a little layoff from the Burnley player and uh, Wilson, not a bear from distance, puts the ball into the back of the net. Leno potentially a little far off his line. Um, if he's a bit further back, he might have half a chance of getting a fingertip to that, but um, a good finish nonetheless. And then about 20 minutes later, Sander Burge, who we were obviously linked with in the transfer window, just gone. Um, uh, it's a it's an okay finish. It's not amazing. I know. Nah, looking at some good. reports, it's it's reported that we went down to two wonder goals. I think against Liverpool, we went down to a handful of wonder goals. These were decent goals. Leno would probably be disappointed. He gets a hand to it, um, and it's not enough of a hand to keep the ball out. And we go down two nil. Disappointing. And then obviously onto the Bournemouth game last night. Another disappointing one, and look, uh, I, I think our defence has looked really good in recent weeks. Tosin and Bassey look great as a back two. We saw the return of Kenny Tete, and um, Robinson's been in good form. But I think Robinson and Tete defensively yesterday were a little bit off the boil. Tosin yeah. and Bassey, I thought, played really, really well. But we got we got exposed out wide a number of times. If you look at the opening goal, Justin Clivert gets the ball inside the box, Tete must be 15 metres away from him when he gets the ball. Clover just has to put it um, into the back of the net and goes through Leno. Leno, I think, should have done better there and he'll be disappointed there as well. Um, the second goal, Solanke, it's it's a penalty poorly given away by Polina. It's just a clumsy tackle, um, which just sort of happens when things are going against you. It's a good penalty. Can't really do too much about it. And then final minute. It's a good finish from Sinistero. It's um, kind of what happens at the end of a game when you're already 2-0 down. I said to Dad when that goal went in, I just had a feeling they were going to score a third at some point. And no. it's it's a bit of a disappointing way to concede, though, if you watch Sinistero cuts in from um, wide left and just keeps running. And when he actually takes a shot, he's on the edge of the D. And there are about three or four Fulham players on the edge of the box, so a good three, four metres away from him. And he's able to wind up and take a shot with no one attempting to block it. And it is a very good finish, but we really shouldn't be allowing shots like that to be taken from that kind of place on the pitch. Um, Dad, I know we watched the game together, and again, it was another one full of sighs and groans, but um, were there any positives to take from from a loss like that? Uh, uh... Ted, a no. <laughs> Uh, why'd you ask me that? I wanted to talk about other things, but talk about I, other things. Was, lead with, lead with. Yeah, I, I was, um, 
I'm always excited to see Kenny Tete back, but he's he's not back to his best, is he? Uh, it's just just not quite there. You two, um, you two have been saying to, I've been saying for a while that I think um, uh, Silva's been picking Castagna on form. I I I love Kenny Tete. I love Kenny Tete. I do think he's great, but I do think at the moment Castagna's a better fit in the squad. And I'm, I feel like that was um, last night. Yeah, uh, there is Kenny Tete. Is Kenny Tete, and I love what he does. But he he was definitely off last night. I thought I thought uh, a BDR had a poor game. Um, he, he was trying hard. Things just weren't coming off. Didn't like it. Won't be on the left. Not his fault. I thought Pereira actually. Yeah, there's my one good thing. I thought Pereira had a pretty good game for hey. certainly for. Um, yeah, had a good first half and most of the second half, I thought he he worked pretty well. Some of his corners weren't any his his set pieces weren't that great, but overall, I thought he was pretty good. I thought Mooney's tried hard, but he's just as we've discussed before, he's just really not up to it. Um, I want to see him, you know, put his boot through. He's got a massive hoof on him. He's he a massive gets, guy. He generates some power. And I'd like to see him taking some shots, you know, even from the edge of the box, if he could get the ball and actually get it onto his right foot. But, um, yeah, I think um, Leno also disappointing to go down to that goal. When, when I, I, I think it was pretty even, if not – well, I think at that point when the, when the goal went in, I'm pretty sure we had about more than 60% possession up to that point, it was just a sort of disappointing way to to go 1-0 down. It wasn't a bad shot, but he probably should have used his foot rather than try to save it to his right. Hit it fairly well, but Leno had plenty of time to see it, really, for him. Mm. And you'd, you'd always expect him to save that, and it was quite surprising. He was obviously very frustrated and disappointed that mm. he missed that. Um, yeah, like you say, the penalty, uh, it's a good penalty, went completely the wrong way. What can you do? Uh, yeah, let's talk I about actually, Bert Leno. Let's talk I about actually, Bert Leno. Well, before you do that, um, because I do like I do have one positive, I thought Bassi and Tosin actually played really, really well, and particularly in the first half. I felt that they were the reason that we kept it nil-nil for as long as we did. I thought they were really, really strong, and I was actually really happy with them in general. It was kind of just everybody else that let them down, not Bert Leno. Bert Leno's never at fault. And Well, I mean, that's a good segue, isn't it? Because <laughs> I think Well, I actually, we're... actually, can we, can we also talk about TC? I thought um, TC had some defensive work to do last night, particularly since... Um, Tete wasn't having a great game, and in parts, I don't think Robinson was having that great a game either. But TC didn't look sharp to me, and he he didn't seem to be that keen on doing the defensive work that I think he needed to to do last night. And I don't think I don't think um, uh, Joao Polinio was awful, but he was way below his very best way below mm. and he seemed a bit frustrated yeah that 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 penalty was probably the sort of um i don't know probably summed up his his performance really 
didn't need to happen, well, but he just couldn't pull out of it. It's it's interesting you want to talk about Leno. I, I think I can happily forgive Leno for a poor performance. I don't think yeah. um I, I don't think it's a regular thing. We're not having to talk about it constantly that Leno's letting us down. But I do agree in a sense with um Polina, the last few weeks has not looked the same Polina that we used to. I don't know. I haven't seen his stats on the number of tackles and interceptions and if that's down at the moment or not. But um, we, we've seen a lot of mistakes with his passing. The tackling hasn't been anywhere near as good. And look, there's um, a few people, and Steve is sort of joining that on our live stream as well, um, who've been potentially musing that um, this is because uh, Polina's maybe being a little bit careful before a potential move in January, doesn't want to get injured before that. Um, th look, I, I don't know if there's any truth to that rumour, but um, I, I genuinely feel like he does look like he's not going in for tackles in the same way he used to be going in for tackles. So maybe there is a little bit of something there. Um, I he's think definitely in some pretty right. poor form at the moment for for the player that we know he is and what we expect from him. I think the something... How yeah, sorry. Like, well, how, um, how about how about sorry, Sam? How about yeah. how about the fact that he suddenly started getting into a phase of picking up a bunch of yellow cards? Uh, oh, that's nothing in, new. In, no, no, he went through quite a long period in this season where he was not getting yellow cards, mm. and and I don't think he was any less aggressive. But I think I actually think there was a. A recognition that he plays it hard, but it doesn't actually. He, he, he's he's not a dirty player. He's just really physical and very hard, and he loves to slide tackle. And it look often looks horrendous, like something terrible is going to happen. And he generally gets the ball. And I and maybe he's he's just a little bit ginger from getting a few yellow cards and thinking. Hang on a second, I I, I got to take it a bit easier. I don't know. Here's here's my. Here's I don't think my he's taking things. it easy though. I think he's I think he's genuinely making some sloppy tackles, and, well, and giving away yeah. silly free kicks when he doesn't need to. Well, okay. Speaking of ginger and speaking away of um, silliness, I actually think the reason is um, uh, we have to ask so much of Polina now because just through the nature of the evolution of the squad, uh, Harrison and Reed has been. Um, kicked out for Kenny at the moment. And then that has put way more emphasis and um, stress on uh, Polina's sole defensive capabilities because TC isn't sharing that load. Mm. So then as a result, we are essentially burning Polina to an unnatural point at the moment. And then as a result, mistakes are coming because if we're asking Polina to do 90 minutes of all the defensive work in midfield every game, which is basically what we're doing at the moment i can kind of forgive him for just messing up because last season he was sharing that load with Har uh, harrison reed and he's not doing that now and um uh, it's it's like it's like giving creative players space if you want him to make a perfectly timed tackle don't ask him to make every single tackle in the game you know something in that i think yeah, there's a little bit in that, but I, I'd also say that um, Harrison Reed has been out of the side for a little bit and has been rotated out of the side as well fairly often. 
Um, and Polina has been doing that job pretty well with Kearney alongside him. I also pretty think, well. yeah. I also think we're we're possibly a little bit harsh on Tom Kearney's defensive ability. He's actually this season, especially, played much more, uh, played a much better role defensively than he has done previously. Uh, I agree. In, in previous in previous seasons, uh, I remember always just saying, "Well, Kenny just doesn't do any defensive work." So, um, if Kenny's on the pitch, everyone has to pick up the slack. I don't think that's the case anymore. Kenny actually sits a lot. Uh, um, yeah, look, I, I think he did have to pick up a little bit of slack last night. I, I think Tom Kenny didn't have his best game either. So, there, there's there's a number of issues floating around and. Um, look, I, I think we all agree that January transfer window is so important because of that, because there are so many issues. Uh, I mm. feel like we just need to strengthen in multiple positions. And uh, look, I, we've we've mused before if Silver potentially sends messages to the Khans by um, having a few bad results prior to transfer windows, which I think we saw last year as well. It didn't really come to fruition, but... Um, we, we've seen it in pre-season as well, where we get battered in pre-season games we really shouldn't be getting battered in. Um, and all of a sudden there's a flurry of signings the next week. Maybe this is Silver in a way sending a message saying, I just don't have the resources available. Um, but Do at the same time, I, I just a, feel like... I think that's a conspiracy games. theory. Well, it actually... Is, of course it is. In a, in, a real, in a really nihilistic way, I actually am, in hindsight, a little bit glad that we've taken these drubbings just before the transfer window. Because if everything was going great, um, the cons would probably be like, ah, oh, everything's fine. We don't need to buy anyone. It's all okay. Whereas now, we don't have to TP Tony Khan's house and force him to do anything. Um, this should light a firecracker up him. Well, I mean, if, you can, the, if he was one, watching, if he was, the one was. positive is you you can really pinpoint the issue. You can say, look, we are missing uh, one winger and one striker, and all of a sudden everything's fallen into a heap. So it's very obvious that if we can get a new winger and striker in, and in fact turn Willian and Jimenez into backup players, we could be a very mm. strong team because then all of a sudden we've got a bench that can come off and actually make things happen every week. It's, yeah, it's it's a tough one going into the transfer window because uh, I think there's a lot of things you would love to do. I'm sure Silver would love to sign seven new players, but it's just realistically never going to happen. So, um, uh, look, it, complete conspiracy theory, but maybe there's a little bit of, um, like Sam said, it, it's in a weird way kind of good to lose a couple of games before a transfer window because you can actually set a bit of panic into the cans and say, geez, guys, we're going to get relegated if we don't make some changes pretty soon. Yeah. Um, and and look, Luton have picked up a few points recently. They're only six points behind us now. We're only six points out of the relegation zone. So Jesus. we do need to start picking up points pretty soon. Um, again, I'm not feeling too nervous about the whole thing yet, but uh, I think... There's definitely some moves to be made fairly soon. Otherwise, it's going to get a bit squeaky bum. I um, I am a little bit because we got Arsenal coming up, and that that makes my butthole tight. Well, thanks for that image. Um, but usually people just say their bum, not their asshole. Um, well, you, what you're allowed a squeaky <laughs> bum, but I'm not allowed a tight one. That's prejudice. Yeah, a squeaky bum, but not a bum hole, Sam. <laughs> just <laughs> okay. A bum. 
I'm sorry for the anatomical differences there, but we're in the same area. It's a big difference. You don't mind seeing a bum, but seeing a bum hole is a very big difference. Um, anyway, I think we can probably wrap it up on that wonderfully graphic note. Um, Sam and Dad, do you have anything to add over of course what's going Tell me about your colon. Talk, no, I, I want to talk about an operation I'm about to have. No. Yeah. I, I, want to, I want to talk about the uh, Bert Leno incident. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. When, you, so when you mentioned Leno, I thought you mentioned his form. But, yes, good point. Um, so I guess to recap the incident, um, Bournemouth ball boy holding onto a ball for too long, not giving it back to Bert Leno. Bert Leno takes it off him, gives him a little shove and um, turns his back on it. it. It caused a bit of a ruckus. Um, the Bournemouth fans definitely stuck it to Leno, which was actually quite enjoyable. Um, but also to to make note, the referee did stop the game, talk to the fourth official, talk to the steward in charge of the ball boys as well. And that ball boy was actually then substituted out of the game and removed from the game. Um Dad, I guess you. I know you're wanting to discuss it, and I don't know if it's to refute it or if it's to um, praise Leno for the way he acted. Go on. No, I don't want to praise him for the way he reacted. I think it was very unfortunate that he was forced into a situation where he was really frustrated with the scam that was clearly uh, going on. And I, th I think it's just cynical that all the papers all the shit papers at least well actually that's not true all the papers the guardian was in and on as well were trying to bay for the fa to take further action posthumously and you know um penalize leno for for doing that and i i'm not here to advocate that grown men of six foot five uh, you know push young young boys around but i i guess it's just cynical, really, in that they were clearly there was a clearly concerted effort to waste time, and it, you know the old kind of strategy of if your team's losing, uh, ball boys are involved in slowing the game down. Sorry, if your oh, team's yeah. winning, winning, ball boys are involved in slowing the game down, and um, you know, the speed at which the ball comes back kind of depends on whose throwing it is or whose, um, you know, uh, kick it is. And if you look at that little kid, he, unfortunately, he's, his body language gave him away. He had w what Sam would only best describe as a shit-eating grin on his face. <laughs> he basically holding the ball out and his outstretched arm, looking away, refusing to respond to Leno calling for the ball. And mm. it, he... It wastes no more than three, four, maybe five seconds of the game. You, you could argue it's not material, but for a side at the 79th minute who are 2-0 down, who feel somewhat there's some urgency and they want to play out quickly, that's plenty of time for the Bournemouth players to pick up a couple of men and mm. shut down uh, our ability to play out of the back, right? Oh, and it's yeah. not all those little things. So... Um, you know, the crowd were being very protective towards their ball boy, but I'd argue that the club shouldn't be putting a ball boy in that position 
where he's actually got to be front and center of a scene where he's clearly trying to influence the game. He's just not up to it. Um, and it, it's unfortunate that he was a young child rather than maybe a 15-year-old boy. He could probably have faked it a bit better and w w wouldn't have looked such a David and Goliath sort of uh, incident. But, yeah, anyway, you guys can have a say. I was just going to say that um, in an isolated um, viewpoint, it looks significantly worse than it actually does, than it actually is. But it's so well documented. Like Guardiola has been using ball boys for as long as he's um, been in charge of any football team to just manipulate the game. I mean, he's famously documented. I can't remember which Champions League final it was, but he just told all the ball boys, give them no time to breathe. Like any any time you see the ball, just throw it back into like the players. We keep it moving as soon as possible. Like they get prepped before every games. This isn't a new thing. Um, I mean, it's not. It's it's not exactly mild child abuse. He's just being like, "You're annoying. Go away." And yet, he to his credit, he did apologize directly after. Which I can't necessarily say that I would have apologized directly after. I probably would have. But um, no, it's a it's a situation that has been blown largely out of proportion. Um, uh, I don't think Bert Leno's integrity should ever really be questioned. I think he's um, about as noble as they come, and uh, yeah, he's 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 just, he's just the kid had just had cheek, and uh, Leno was just trying to speed up the game. Probably what actually happened was he pushed him out of the way in the same way that he would do to basically anyone, but he's so much bigger than the little kid that the kid kind of got like a little bit shoved back. It's, I mean, it, it's just context, isn't it? And um, why have context when you can have a story? Doesn't make sense. Uh, it's a non-event for me. Um, I, I just feel like, he, you know, he doesn't actually push him hard enough to to even move his body. And this is a an, an six-foot-three adult pushing a 10-year-old child. Mm. Um, let's be honest, if if it was a decent shove, if, if he'd Can shoved him to flying. the floor, if he'd shoved him to the floor, send Leno off 100%. Yeah. It, it, what actually happens the, the is... The kid should have gone down. It would have been funny. Imagine no, if no, genuinely, amazing. though, if, if, imagine if the kid, if the kid down, faked faked a, 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 like a, a penalty fall. That would have been hilarious. But, oh, but genuinely, been, if, the, if the kid had gone down, um, oh, yeah. then Leno probably should have been sent off. What actually happens is Leno pushes him on the chest. He, he barely pushes his shoulder back, which for, like I said, an adult pushing a 10-year-old child, if you push a kid hard, and I, I know it from um, pushing my cousins in the pool yesterday, it doesn't take much to actually push them over. Um, and, and so I just think you can just say it's it's just Leno sending a bit of a message saying stop being a bit of a dickhead about this. And um, look, he's not actually assaulted him. He's not not done anything wrong there. He apologised to him. Him and the ball kid made up. The ball kid has, has his arm around him, patting him on the back. And um, interestingly, then the ball kid gets subbed out by the steward. And like I said, the referee does stop the game and addresses it. Um, so, look, I, I think... Like a few people on the live stream have said, this this happens all the time. Ball boys are a part of the game. Ball boys uh, are often prepped in advance to, 
I think less so time waste than actually um, help the home team. I, I think it's it's right that a ball boy is told you get the ball, you instantly throw it to the home team and make sure they have the opportunity to potentially create something. I don't think the home team go out there and say to the ball boy, make sure you hold up the game. Um, no. Cause that, that then becomes very obvious. Um, and I think they, they'd probably get in a little bit of trouble if they started telling ball boys to hold up the game. You don't see it very often, but I, I think it's something that needs to be, so you think then you're a little bit closer. you're you're then saying that the he wasn't instructed to hold up the game, but by no, refusing I think he's to probably throw... he's a Bournemouth fan and was refusing to throw the ball back by being a little bit cheeky and just holding the ball up. We yeah. saw it with um, as a few well, Colm in the live chat has mentioned the Eden Hazard incident. I don't know if you remember that where the ball boy yeah. literally held onto the ball and Hazard ended up trying to kick it out from underneath the ball boy and that is a ball boy he, he again he wasn't instructed to do that he was being cheeky there and purposefully trying to hold up the game and i think yeah. that's what's happened here as well as this ball boy has been a bit cheeky he's you know held the ball out to leno and just slowly walked it back to him rather than throwing it back like he's meant to do uh, i think this is a an isolated incident of a ball boy being cheeky rather than a club saying go out there and time waste so how oh, long yeah. how, how how far can a player go without getting a sanction to redress that? In the heat of the moment, 79th minute, you're two nil down away from home, and a ball boy, let's let's assume that he wasn't instructed to to be part of a strategy to, you know, uh, frustrate Fulham, but he's taken it upon himself. He's 10 years old, 12 years, doesn't matter what it is. How how far could Leno go, or does Leno just ignore that? Well, Cantona kicked a fan in the face, so um, there's is that, is that the benchmark? No, I, I think so. I think so. No, no. I, I think I think Leno is possibly a bit lucky. I think another referee gives him a yellow card for that, which would have had him sent off. I, I think he's a little bit fortunate there that um, the referee didn't see a huge amount in it. And so therefore, there, you're saying go and check it. So what I'm trying to push for, you're saying that doesn't matter how cheeky uh, a ball boy is and potentially seriously influencing the game, maybe throwing the ball away in the opposite direction, like blatantly, what, you know, so what, what can a player do in that instance? Yeah, but it's the same as an opposition player kicking the ball away. Um uh, when there's a free kick and they or stepping in front of the ball and making sure it doesn't get taken, the referee can give that player a yellow card. Very rarely will that player have already got a yellow card and get sent off. In fact, this ball boy then does basically get sent off for doing what he did. So I, I, I think it could happen that a ball boy does that. Um, but I think at that point, if every ball boy is picking up the ball and throwing it away, then the club probably get investigated for instructing all of their ball boys to waste time. I, I think at that point yeah. it starts to get a little bit ridiculous. But it, it realistically, that's not going to be the case. Yeah, What's it interesting, though, to, it, it should never be up to the player to um, yeah, uh, take sure. matters no, into right. their own hands. It's the referee's job. You're to right. Do that. But what that, but what's interesting is that a ball boy could seriously influence a game, right? In in the dying moments of a game, you could seriously influence the game. And could could really have no effect. Whatever um, action the referee took 
to, to get the, the kid sent off, for example, or removed from the game does not affect Bournemouth in this case at all. And yet they've been, Fulham have been at disadvantaged and Bournemouth have potentially gained some advantage. It's interesting. Well, I mean, I like... I remember Ange Postacoglu said um, uh, pretty recently um, because it was in uh, response to a cheating accusation of like uh, another team. I forget who it was, but he basically said um, uh, uh, managers find ways to bend the rules. Teams find ways to bend the rules. Every team in the world does that. And every manager does that. It's just about doing that within the rules of the game and not being caught. So it's a it's a non-issue as jack said for me yeah i i i don't by any means condone what leno did but i don't think it's a massive issue for me i don't don't think there was enough in it to justify any more than um a bit of a telling off saying don't do that um definitely not a straight red card if he'd been shown a yellow i wouldn't have been overly surprised which would have been disappointing because he'd already been booked at that point um but I don't think it's any more than that. It's it's a warning. So can I ask you, just before we close it out like you want to, then do you think it is possible for ball boys to have an influence on the game? Absolutely. Yeah, of right. course it is. So then why don't they, if, if that is true, then why don't they go to the extent of actually having ball boys who, like umpires, cricket umpires, never uh, officiate, at their own home ground? Because no. It, yeah. it, well, it's a volunteer role, firstly. Correct. It's, it's local boys picked up to sit around the ground and throw balls back. I, I don't think there's but any But it's more than that. We've all agreed there's more the than that. Issue, the issue is telling ball boys to do something in particular. I'm absolutely fine if ball boys are told, whenever you get the ball, you throw it back instantly. And, uh, you know... 999,000 times out of 100,000, it's it's perfect. There's no issues. Um, it's just very, very occasionally. And look, the only issues I've seen where ball boys have really affected the game, there was that bail goal, oh, Carrie Kane goal for Spurs. There was the Hazard incident. And this incident, I would barely call an incident in the first place. But the ball boys... If, if you look at how many times balls go out of play in games and get picked up by ball boys, there's very rarely ever any issues. So I just yeah. I think it's just a massive non-issue that doesn't actually need to be addressed or discussed because, yes, they wasted a couple of seconds there, but then they're not instructed to do that. This is a cheeky kid sitting on the sideline um, purposefully wasting time because he was being a bit of a dickhead. I'm very confused. You guys are talking opposite things. Sam is talking about Pep Guardiola deploying this as a matter of course. Uh, Pochettino did it as a matter of course. He invited the ball ball boy who threw the Mourinho, ball in. You mean. Allow, sorry, Mourinho. Um, invited him into the change rooms to celebrate his contribution as a 12th man. Uh, they, they all do it. They absolutely all do it. So they're at, What at I'm saying is they is the, advantage. The, Ball boys uh, at Craven Cottage, every time I've seen the ball boys, they get the ball back to the opposition teams just as nice. quickly as they get it back to the Fulham team. No, no but lovely. that happens at almost every single ground. Like I'm saying, this is just a non-issue. It's, it's I think, I think, I think if you're far too deep into something that's barely anything, 
Oh no, I love it. I'm here for this shit. But I think I think genuinely, if you're looking for a meritocracy in football, you've come to the wrong place because that's like <laughs> saying, how about how about we reduce the number of um, people that come to Anfield so it can be a little bit fairer on the players? No, that entirely defeats the point of what Anfield is and what makes football good. There will always, always be unfair little things, little nitpicky, very tight minutia. Honestly, even I think I'm like going to write a letter out. to the FA. Independent yeah, I think yeah. It's bring him down. Bring him down one post-it note at a time. Please do. <laughs> right, well, let's actually wrap it up there anyway. Uh, it's been a lot to cover. There's a lot of games still to come. It's a busy little period for us coming up. We, um, well, hopefully we'll be catching up again before the end of the year, but it uh, depends on where everyone is and who who's in what part of the country. So, Sammy, thank you for joining us tonight. This uh, afternoon, in fact, I don't have to say tonight. Well, it is tonight now because the sun has gone down um, in the harsh um, Melbourne climate. But um, no, I thank you very, very much for having me. I love, I love um, everything deteriorating and then us just going into a deep-seated philosophical conversation of merit and ball boys um, on a Fulham podcast. That's That's why the people tune in and thank you very much. I loved it. And I'll see you next time. Awesome. And thank you, Dad, for joining us. Yeah, very good. At least we're up to date. It was uh, overdue and, um, yeah, like a dose of salt, so I feel better. <laughs> and uh, thank you to everyone who's joined us on the live stream and everyone who continues to listen into the podcast. Uh, Merry Christmas to everyone and a Happy New Year. And as always, come on, you whites. Yeah.